Hello and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. This is Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. This week we're doing things a little bit differently. We're going to be airing a live interview I did at the Modern Retail Summit this past week, which was held in Palm Springs. We had a wonderful three-day event with retail executives, insiders, everyone in between talking about all things retail. I spoke with Chip Malt, who is the co-founder and CEO of Made in Cookware. We had a really nice conversation, and uh, you get to hear it now. If you want to hear more about our events at Modern Retail, go to www.modernretail.co slash events. That's www.modernretail.co slash events. And without further ado, the interview with Chip. I'm really excited for our next and our final session. We've made it through the last three days. Thank you for being here. I've had such a good time. Um, this last one's actually going to be a live recorded podcast. So uh, if you listen to the Modern Retail podcast, next I host it every week, talk to different founders, people from brands. Um, I'm really excited for this next conversation. It's with Chip Malt, who's the co-founder and CEO of Maiden Cookware. And we're going to be talking about all things like wh what happened over the last year, what's coming up on the horizon, and just all things cookware. So Chip, come on up. <laughs> All right, how's it going? They never let us pick our walk-up song. Yeah, supposedly, I don't know, I'll go, the, the, a previous person from Digital used to have his walk-up song picked, and I was like, why can't I pick my walk-up right? song? Maybe next year. I'll do it. I'll, I'll make a point yeah, of that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, tell, tell us about Maiden. What's Maiden's story? Yeah, thanks for having us, first of all. Absolutely. Um, so Maiden is a digitally native cookware brand. Um, we're about 95% uh, through our own channel, so uh, maidencookware.com. The way we kind of fit in the market is we're real professional quality, and we mix professional quality cookware with artisan craftsmanship. So we work with manufacturers who have been uh, crafting knives and cookware for hundreds and hundreds of years, multi-generational. My co-founder's background is about 100 years in this space as well. So we like to say we institute heritage into a very uh, young brand, a three-year-old brand. Um, but then we have a real chef component to us as well. So we're in about 1,500 restaurants, um, dozens of Michelin star restaurants. We work with a lot of the best chefs around the world. Um, they help us design, test, um, and produce products um, that are just top quality in terms of performance, which for us is the most important thing in the kitchen. Wow. So when did you guys first launch? We launched uh, October of 2017. Okay, and what were you doing before? Because your co-founder was in the restaurant industry. What were you? What were you up to? Um, I was. Uh, so my background's in kind of computer science, data science, um, and I was running kind of a, as a GM role uh, for a company called Rona Apparel, a digitally native clothing company. Got it. And so, what was so in 2017? What was the original marketing rollout plan for Maiden? Yeah, for us, I mean, we were really a first mover in the space. Like, since we've uh, come on board, a few others have joined the space in, in kind of the fast follower format. But, um, you know, it was a wide open space. And what we really wanted to match was, you know, food is a very emotional um, category, right? It's a lot of people cooking for a very specific diet or um, it's a hand-me-down recipe that they've been making for their family for generations and generations. There's a lot of attachment to that. And that was kind of reverberating in every aspect of food except for the tool space. That was... I mean, the Bone apps were doing a really good job of curating amazing recipes that were well-tested. And then there was um, these food shows, Top Chef, and, yeah. and all these things that were coming out that people were fascinated with. And then they'd come and cook anything that they really cared about on a hand-me-down piece of cookware that was, um, you know, they couldn't even name the brand of. And um, we couldn't think of anything where people cared less about the brand affinity in a space of a product they use so much. 
Um, so we wanted to match that kind of care and, and um, emotional aspect to the actual tools in the kitchen space. And that was the idea. It was all a supply chain-based focus. We wanted multi-generational craftsmen who were doing it the right way. They were um, still hand-forging knives. It was just really top-quality product and let that product speak for itself. So how did you go about sourcing like, you know, the top-quality material? And what is the price point? Because I feel like, I feel like the, the big issue right now, and you, know, you said you were a first mover and there are others, they all say they're top-quality, but I, I wonder, I've always interested where they're actually sourced, how they do that, and then how that compares to, say, La Crusade or um, I'm blanking on other names, but there are many other names I can come with. So how, how, what was the sourcing part of yeah, that? Yeah, so we actually did all of our raw material sourcing um, at the beginning. We went to the raw material manufacturers and we bought that and put it on our balance sheet. Oh, wow. um, we wanted to have an intense focus on having everything made the exact perfect way. Um, we were doing the transporting of raw materials to the contract manufacturer um, and kind of got birthed in that way. Um, and for us, it was a focus on having a performance product that could stand up to the best kitchens in the world, um, which we felt wasn't really a part of the digital native landscape at that time, um, especially in the kitchen space. And so um, now we're seeing a lot of restaurants and I don't think we've really lost a bid against some of the incumbents on chefs, professional chefs shif uh, shifting out their cookware for ours. Um, so I think that kind of like focus on performance from day one has been super important. So I just wanna clarify something. You said 95% of your um, sales are direct to consumer. Correct. Um, are, is the 5% restaurants or is that wholesale or otherwise? We don't do wholesale. Um, it's all direct to restaurants, hotels, casinos. We're in Four Seasons. We're in um, Fairmont, Ritz-Carlton, Michelin star restaurants, um, down to mom and pops, food trucks, um, people who, I mean, these are craftsmen, right? They are using this product every single day. It's like a painter with a paintbrush. They want a product that they can stand behind, they love. Um, we have that same direct relationship on the digitally native side as we do the direct to restaurant side. Um, so we treat them like family. We have a great relationship with all of our chefs. I wanna get into that probably in a few minutes about the, the restaurant stuff, because I find that fascinating. But when you were first launching, were you seeding the product to, to restaurant people so that they would try it and then show it on their Instagram? How did, what was the marketing schema that you were, that you were going for? Yeah, I wish I could say we were like masterminding this on a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> the restaurant business and the restaurant um, kind of relationship with chefs really came organically, um, which was probably the best way authentically that it could come. Um, it came from one to focus on product and then to, um, through our efforts and storytelling on the brand side, Chefs started reaching out to us and DMing us saying, we're opening up a new spot. Um, I was gonna go with X brand. I would love to try you and put you in the mix. And we just started to win those more and more and more. Um, and then word got out through the chef community. Hey, my friend, it's a really cool industry because you, know, you have a sous chef who's super talented and they're behind an executive chef. And then they get the opportunity to go start their own restaurant. And so it has this network effect component to it. Um, and you know, of the digitally native brands, like we had a different strategy, a lot of, Usually they have brands launch with a single product, you know, launch with that for one or two years and build their name off that product. And for us, that didn't make sense in the kitchen space. It's a, it's a category that like you need products and tools for a specific use and you have a system and you're cutting and prepping on one thing and you're cooking another. And to do things the right way, you need different tools. You can't really use an all-in-one thing. Um, and so that actually lent itself as well to the uh, B2B community, which obviously needs um, a full suite. So, so the products you launched with were pans, knives, or what, what, what was the product like assortment? We launched with just stainless clad cookware, um, but it was a big skew set Got of it. that for a launch brand at that time. We were doing the VC circuit at the time of launch, and I think it was like the rise of all birds. And we had a lot of VCs that were like, why don't you just launch with one pan? Like, like launch no. with one pan. And it's like, well, you can't really make even pasta with just a fry pan, right? Sure. So like, um, it didn't make sense for us, and it wasn't part of our strategy. So I wanna, so on, on the restaurant front, 
you, you mentioned Top Chef, and I know that you, you have a bunch of endorsements from like Tom Colicchio and Nancy Silverton. Do you view those as endorsements specifically for the restaurant community or for consumers or both? Because I, I, like, I know who Nancy Silverton is, but I'm also a weirdo. Um, and I wonder, like, does, that, does that speak volumes to your consumer shoppers, or is that more so that you're getting repped by the professionals who they look up to? I hope if everyone thought they were a weirdo for knowing who Nancy Silverton is, there'd be so. a lot of weirdos out yeah. there. Um, for us, like, I think an important point is we don't consider them endorsements. Um, we consider them chef partners. Yeah. Um, so you know, we don't go out there with a chef outbound team who's reaching out and DMing chefs to try and bring them part of the brand. Everything, every partner we work with, every partner we showcase, whether it's an ad, whether it's on their website, um, authentically uses our product and has paid for their product in their restaurant. I think that's super unique and a very important point. Um, because, you know, especially in the kitchen space, you've seen over the last 20, 30 years, the strategy being an endorsement strategy, which um, to us, like the new age of consumer is so smart that that is quickly seen as inauthentic, that is quickly seen as um, an endorsement, which is what we're trying to get away from. Um, we really value the chef partnership aspect of it. Um, 2020 was a very interesting year as well, which we'll probably talk about um, where that restaurant community got hit as hard as possible and shut down and kind of that business for us went to zero, but it wasn't about the business aspect. It was a time for us to actually show our portion of the partnership. Mm -hmm. um, and if that was an endorsement deal, 2020 would have been a very different story of how we interacted with chefs. So let's talk about 2020. First, in 2020, was it the same 95-5 mix? <laughs> Uh, no, it was about 100 zero. Okay. Um, <laughs> or I guess something... I, should say, I should say 2019, right before. Oh, gotcha. Yes, yes. Um, it's slowly grown, um, but it's still vast majority Got consumers. It. And so then what happened in 2020? I, I, so you said that 5% went to zero, but then also I, home cooking skyrocketed like never before, pretty much. Yeah. Everyone's cooking at home, but you see, know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It was a great time, obviously, for e-commerce brands, and then e-commerce brands yeah. in the home, and then e-commerce brands in the yeah. kitchen, and, and so on. Um, for us, in terms of the chef community, like, again, these chefs were helping us design, develop, test products. Um, they were a vehicle for our marketing to some degree, um, and it was a very nice symbiotic relationship. And then March 2020 hits, and everyone's shutting their doors. Um, interesting aspect on two sides. One is, like, how can we support the a community that's been so great to us. Um, I think this day after March 16th, so I think everything kind of shut down March 15th around the country. Um, we did a 100% give back program and raised 30,000 bucks for um, the Southern Smoke Foundation out of um, Houston, Texas, which provided crisis aid for restaurants and restaurant workers. Um, and then Tom Colicchio, who's a huge proponent of the brand and investor of the brand, is the face of Save Restaurant Movements over the last year. Um, you know, we went live with him on our Instagram, showcasing different restaurants um, around the country that were trying to you know, sell merch or sell this or sell that or you know, sell meal kits or anything to keep their doors open and support their restaurants. So we spent 2020 doubling down on the authentic relationships and partnerships that we've built with those restaurants and how we can support them. Um, for us, you know, business-wise, that's, um, that's our strategy. Like, we love the chef community and we want to do anything to support them and we believe that will build a long-lasting relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and then too, like, it was just the right thing to do. They've been so great to us. So what was, what was on the, the DTC side? What kind of growth did you see in 2020? Uh, we grew about 5X um, last year, which was, <laughs> was great for the business. It was obviously a, um, with supply chains being disrupted and everything was a strain on multi-portions of it. Um, you know, we actually were able to, restaurants started to open back up in probably September, October, November. And one of the interesting trends we saw was people were so excited to get cookware because that was the first indication that they were getting back to being normal and opening the restaurants that had been delayed six, nine months. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, we were able to actually be a lot of times there were, you know, the restaurants weren't even built. And generally, cookware is the last thing you get into a, a restaurant they're building. And that was actually the first thing they wanted. Wow. Um, so it's a pretty interesting year overall from an arc. Well, what were the overall supply chain hiccups? Was it just that you, the, everything was shut down, then were reopened, then there were bottlenecks? So, like, did you have sellouts or anything like that? What were you seeing? Yeah, we... Uh, Everything, yeah. all of the above. Um, we were lucky enough. We work with two amazing manufacturers on our stainless clad side, for instance. Um, you know, that's a hero product of ours. That's what most chefs use in their kitchen. It's their core product. Um, we source that out of, the, out of the USA and Italy. Um, fortunate enough for us, when Italy shut down and went to zero um, in terms of production, the U.S. was doing well and kind of vice versa. And so we had some success in sort of dual manufacturing as well as um, being able to really work closer with our partner manufacturers to, you know, they, they stepped up. They were, you know, hey, our Italian manufacturer is down. We need you guys now. A lot of times these are multi-generational families that we have amazing relationships with. Our knife manufacturer said we are her kids um, kind of thing. So, like, you know, they kind of rallied as well. And, you know, we treat our partner manufacturers like, um, like we do our chefs, like in a hospitality-focused way. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. With all the, the craziness of 2020, what were you thinking in terms of how you're playing for 2021? Restaurants were just beginning to reopen. Were you putting a lot of emphasis on that or were you putting more of your eggs in the DTC basket? Sort of, how were you thinking about things? And also on the marketing side, what, what was the overall strategy there? Yeah, so two things. I mean, product launch calendars is something I think we've done really well. Um, through the pandemic, we, so in terms of product launches, one of the main things we kind of always check the box on is, is it, will it stand up to a professional quality kitchen? Um, will a chef who's top tier in his or her area of cooking, baking, whatever it is, um, you know, would they use that in their restaurant? Mm -hmm. um, and then the second part is, does, a st does the product have a deep, rich story behind it? Is it crafted in the right place? Um, and so we launched, I think, 40 products during the pandemic, um, all from kind of our remote areas. We were sending um, and our brand team did an amazing job sending uh, film crews to remote from France to the French manufacturer for bakeware, for plateware, for instance, um, or UK for plateware, um, all remotely, just because we couldn't travel. Um, so we were able to still execute on our product launch strategy, which was aggressive um, and, and important to the business. Like We believe as a company that no one's really done cross-horizontal skew expansion in the kitchen well. Um, you go and you move into a new home and you have to research which knives you want. You have to research which plate where you want. Um, these are all part of a system. It makes no sense why you'd have to buy this from seven different companies. Mm -hmm. um, the reason is because it's all owned by a huge conglomerate that doesn't want them to make cross-horizontal skew expansion. So for us, like that was really interesting and, and important. Um, so from 2020 to 2022, um, or 2019, or whatever it is, yeah, into, yeah. Um, whatever, like continuing that product skew expansion, I think our early cohorts are repeating over 100%. So like people are loving these new product launches. Um, so how can we continue to make authentic product that our customers are adopting and loving? So where are you, so you're in cookware, you said you're in plates, you said you're in bakeware, is that, is that, is that where you're covering right now? Yeah, so we just launched what we were calling the curated kitchen set, um, which we think is awesome. Um, <laughs> it's, I hope. Uh, it is a all-inclusive box that is plateware, knives, bakeware, um, some carbon steel, wine glasses, and other tabletop items like um, cutlery, et cetera. Right. So if you're moving into a new house, one click, everything's from story manufacturers, professional quality, follows the same product ethos, and could not be more simple and a better value. And so for the things like plateware and glasses, out of curiosity, because you know you, you say that you rely on chefs for testing and yeah. product development, do you do the same with them? Do you send them out a plate and they say, I like this plate, or sort of, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think um, the, our most recent launch, which is a baking slab, uh, 
um, with Nancy Silverton, your favorite, Love her. Um, is a good example of the entire process, right? Um, so we were out there, we were just did bakeware in general as a category with her, um, got our product feedback, and she said, the one thing that's missing in the kitchen is this baking slab. It's kind of like a mixture of a, a quarter sheet pan or half sheet pan with a, a baking dish. Um, and she designed, inspected out, talked about the reasons why this should exist in the world. Um, my co-founder, Jake, who's come from that family history in the space, goes, produces a 3D model and gets everything and brings it back to Nancy and that iteration continues. Mm -hmm. um, once it's good, we bring it to a manufacturer in France who's been making um, the best porcelain, uh, porcelain bakeware in the world for 200 years. It's a, a recipe that is proprietary to this manufacturer. Um, I think only two people in the world know the, the recipe if they get hit by a bus. Oh, gosh. Who knows what happens to our supply chain. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, it's something that like Nancy would be proud of. It's the story behind that. And then we go over and film about the creation of that process. And so this whole thing got brought to life um, from half chef creation, half chef iteration, as well as know-how from manufacturers who have been doing it forever. Got it. And so let's talk about 2021 now. So we had 2020 and you had these product launches, this expansion. What, how has 2021 gone? Um, good. I mean, we're hitting our plan. Everything's going to ex uh, as expected. I mean, obviously, uh, global supply chains are interesting yeah. and um, require us to be flexible. On the marketing front, um, I think that's something that 2020 taught us. Uh, 20, I always forget what year. And 2020 taught us was the need to be flexible um, and the need to not over-index on certain channels. Um, we're fortunate enough that you know our kind of chef background and chef uh, personality storytelling lends itself to multi-channel um, approaches that it works on TV, it works in catalog, it works more than just on Facebook. Um, so, you know, some of the disruptions that I think we've talked about at this conference, um, cookies going away, Facebook imploding, or CPMs rising, or yeah. whatever it is, um, have been less of a big deal for us because we're, we're talking on some of these more, um, I don't know, grandiose platforms that are less uh, DTC specific. Do you try and track which chef brought which customer? Like, do you have, like, is there like a survey or like, how are you attributing that spe specifically when it's so, so cross channel and it might be that they said it on TV, they might have said it on Instagram, and then they're like, this was so and so from this restaurant. How, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, chefs are interesting because they're, they're rock stars. Chefs are the new athlete is kind of like a mantra we have internally, um, but it's hyper regional. So, you know, the people who are, and, and like Lou Lemon did this really well maybe 20 years ago or so, where it was the, the micro influencer it's kind of a micro macro influencer to some some degree where you know if you're in Austin Texas you love Fermin from Suerte who just won food and wine best new restaurant and he is now a made-in customer right and he is part of our marketing strategy there but if you're from New York City unless you're super in tuned you have no idea who Fermin is and Nancy Silverton's a great example like unless you're very into the food industry and she's huge she's a rock star a lot of people from New York City have no idea who she is, but in LA, she is queen, right? And so for us, it's, it's kind of that approach, um, you know, leveraging the chef names and working with chefs in their communities. Um, how can we support them in their communities? And then how can we um, work together to get the word out? Did you find it difficult to hit targets this year, specifically because of supply chain? It's not hit targets, but more be flexible. Um, product launch schedules have shifted. Um, it's been a good test in supply chain teams and marketing teams working closer than ever before. Um, you know, we're going through this exercise right now for holiday where things are shifting and launch dates have to hop each other and come back and, um, and then being transparent with the customer on that in terms of shipping timelines um, and things like that. 
Got it. And so I want to dive into the restaurant strategy because I think that that's really fascinating. It represents a drop in the bucket of your overall business, the, the B2B part. Do you, is, is that something, there, 5% I would say is small compared to 95%. Um, how do you think of it, is that a growth area for you? Is that a marketing area for you? What is the overall like, intention you have down the line with that business? Yeah, um, for us, I mean, it's a, as you mentioned, it's not the majority of our sales. Um, it's a super important part of our sales. It is the corridor, our brand. It is yeah. the lifeline of our brand. Um, so I would say in terms of our time, attention, and focus, it makes up way larger than yeah. 5% of our, our mind share. Um, and so we have full dedicated teams to just customer service for chefs. Um, our kind of mantra is if we treat, again, it's an organic growth through that community. If we treat the chefs well, if we give them an experience they've never had before, a lot of the same DTC mindset, one-to-one communication, um, transparency of shipping, like all that stuff that is a competitive advantage for DTC brands works on that side too. And has never really been done. So we're trying to um, revolutionize the process for chefs and, and how they order and how they experience um, a relationship with a brand. Mm-hmm. Do you have targets for what, how you want to grow that revenue or is it just... Yeah, or what yeah that'll be a double-digit um, growth portion for us. Really? Um, which we're excited about. But for us, it's... I mean, we're not sitting there having a... SDR SaaS sales approach that's just pounding phones, right? It's doing it um, a real authentic way and a partnership way. And is that about reaching out to them, or I imagine you get inbound too from any chefs? Sort of, how do you, how, what is the overall approach with working with restaurants as these kinds of partners? Yeah, uh, 100% of our growth here and sales are all inbound. Really? So um, I'm going to pause. If anyone has any questions, raise your hand. Uh, but I'm going to say, please speak into a microphone if you do have a question. Um, but until then, I want to know about product expansion coming up. So you're, you, have, you have this box that you mentioned that has many different aspects. What are the next things you're, you want to go into? How expansive or do you think Maiden's going to get? Yeah, um, we don't want to become a marketplace of things. Um, we want to stay in core categories. Curation is an important part of, I think, the digitally native movement. Um, we talked the fascination. Uh, yeah. Founder just talked about that and having it be not a really troubling shopping experience. Um, so, you know, we're not going to get into core peripheral items that are just like out there, avocado peelers and weird stuff that you see in the kitchen. Um, for us, there's a couple more categories we want to get into. Um, and we have these, what we do that no one else really does in the kitchen space is do really limited edition, like hypey knife drops um, and product drops. It's a thing that really only Maiden can do working with these small artists and manufacturers. So, um, we just launched a cleaver that, you know, in 2,500 units, um, it had an African ebony handle that was, you know, each candle was unique. Every number was, uh, yeah, every cleaver was serialized, um, and it sold out in 12 hours. And so we'll keep doubling down and offering our consumers something only Maiden can do. So who are you targeting for a cleaver like that? Is that like fellow chef people? Is that, you know, affluent millennials in Brooklyn? Like that, like I'm obsessed with the, the, the people are doing drops like this all the time yeah. and they all have like different sort of strategies around it. So what was your thought when you were like, we're going to have 2,500 units of this one cleaver and it's going to go quickly? So it's a very chefy item, which is yeah. cool, right? Um, so the chef community adopted it for sure. I mean, that was something um, that was very interesting to us that they were uh, adopting these drops just as much as the home consumer, um, which is a testament to like the product development team. And, you know, we try to hit that chefy angle of of business. And um, so if they're adopting a drop, then it's kind of nailing it on the product side. Um, And then for us, like we have, uh, it was interesting, we had about 25% of, you know, people who had bought stainless adopt it and people had bought knives adopt it. So it actually resonated with our core audience, which is pretty diverse. I mean, everyone cooks. We're about 50-50 male-female. We're pretty age-diversified as well. So um, it was just a well-adopted launch. Absolutely. 
Um, what do you, so do you, how many products do you think you're gonna expand to in the year to come? Uh, good question. Um, we have an aggressive launch schedule coming up. I think our most exciting launch coming up is uh, a champagne saver, um, limited edition for holiday. Um, that's coming out December 7th, I believe. What's limited edition? A thousand? Whatever. A couple thousand units. Um, it'll be awesome. I mean, it's, it's something that like the kitchen space is just fun in general. And so like for us to be able to play in these um, areas that are kind of unique to the kitchen, um, we'll do you know, maybe a champagne partnership, and we just launched coops to go with it, perfect for holiday season. But um, you know that will kick off uh, again another 2022 robust launch schedule. So, and you mentioned the, the conversation we just had with the fascination before, and I want to ask you this, which is just when you have such a core chef community who are repping your brand, how important is something like uh, a review from the wire cutter or a review from the fascination? Does that like like is that is that as core part of you? Like sort of what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, for us, um, not, I mean, they're, actually, Wirecard is a great company in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, for us, you know, I, I think. for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you? Yeah, I was their coffee person. Awesome. <laughs> um, what's the best coffee? Uh, uh, it was, uh, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, for us, I mean, what's interesting and what we're trying to do on, on the website side, the e-com side, um, is show the mass amount of chefs that adopt our mm -hmm. stuff. So um, it's less, okay, Nancy Silverton's using our stuff, like, you know, if you're a user, that's, okay, that could be an endorsement. At Grant Ackett's, that could be an endorsement. Um, you know, when you see 1,500 chefs and it's no longer, this is not a scalable way to have endorsements, like that becomes yeah. a testament in itself. And so, um, you know, we have over 45,000 five-star reviews from consumers. Like, we're a leader in that space. And then we have thousands of restaurants using our stuff. Like, that kind of makes the digitally native game of picking off kind of high-profile high reviews here or there, like less important to us. Absolutely, and this, this is probably my last question, but I'm just interested to know, when, you, when you're so focused on the storytelling and you're so focused on the sourcing that's part of the material, is there a point when that becomes unscalable as you expand so far? Yeah, I mean, our gift is our curse, right? Like, we have a very important focus on our supply chain being correct. And there's a lot of easy ways to cut those corners, which we won't take. Um, at, that is our core DNA, and that's what our customers expect. And then that's what lets us expand into other categories where, um, you know, historically brands haven't had permission to do so, right? Like an all-clad hasn't had permission to go and make knives. Um, but the fact that we have this very specific product development process as well as supply chain process keeps that authentic, keeps that organic, and keeps each one of products that we're making coming out being top tier and professional quality. Awesome. Well, Chip, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. See ya. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.